So we go back now to the interview already in progress with Jane Oates, the president at Working Nation. Hi, Jane. How are you today? Hey, John. It just shows how much we both need Pete, right? How much we need Pete is exactly right. Pete said, John, you need to pause. You need to pause. Um, we've got that, some that'll be now. our mantra for 2023 for both of us. We both need to pause sometimes. Well, it's sort of a reset time. So as we look back at 2022 and go into 23, what are you all looking at? What are the big issues? So I think some of the issues from 2022 are going to continue. And you know we've done a whole series of asking our advisors what they think are the issues. But over and all, above all, I think uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts are going to continue into 2023. And with that comes a real effort to look at skills-based hiring. I don't think we quite figured it out in 2022. I think uh, that the the chief human resource officers are still trying to get to the, the crux of what skills are. So I think those two things, and I would add a third because, you know, I always talk in threes. I think people should understand that the relationship economy uh, is really going to continue to thrive. So that's teaching, that's mentoring, that's looking at coaches, whether it's financial coaches or personal wellness coaches. They're going to continue to grow. Those jobs are going to continue to reinvent themselves. What is skills-based hiring? So, John, you know what it means? Instead of looking at where I went to school and looking just at my academic vita, it's really looking at what can I demonstrate that I know. So it really gives, I think, a fairer playing field for people who didn't have the privilege of going to college right out of high school, but instead went right to work and probably learned a lot more than I did in my four years and therefore, you know, when they worked on a job for four years. Are you saying that employers are embracing that idea more? Oh, I think it's really happening. I mean, I think, you know, the Ad Council did a a whole movement last year in 2022 with Opportunity at Work about stars, uh, people who gained their skills through other means rather than just pure academia. And it started to really catch on. I think in the second half of 2022, and I think employers are really seeing that, you know, getting, this is not, by the way, to say don't go to college. That's the best route for many, and it served many of us well. But what instead it says is it's not the only route to really show talent. So I think employers are real. And, you know, their their struggle, that war for talent in 2022, that's cooling off a little right now, really brought this to the forefront. But I think when I talk to a lot of employers, they're like, you know, these people really know what they're doing. They not only have the skill, but they have the work ethic. I'm thinking of teachers. That's one area where it seems like, School districts have relaxed the requirements to try and get more folks into the profession. What are some other examples of skills-based hiring these days? So you think about it, you think that people who in marketing or people who were in communications, quite frankly, you know, who were looking for somebody with a degree and realized that somebody who had worked in an agency for several years at a lower level job had the skills to really move up now. I think in in new hiring, you know, the, the blue collar jobs have always been skills based, right? You needed industry recognized certifications. Mm-hmm. But now a lot of white collar jobs are starting to look at this, wait a minute, if you worked for somebody else and you really learned under them, you may be better than people who just learned under, you know, a professor at a college. 
Well, I'm glad to hear that. This seems to be progressive, but also smart, right? I think it's smart, right? Especially, you know, I mean, for an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old, it's six of one, half a dozen of another, right? New graduates from college or people who are just coming out of high school. But you think about that 45-year-old, you know, who's sitting there now, who has to make a career change and has worked really hard, never had the time or the money to go to college full-time, may have some college credit but no degree, But, boy, they've really learned a lot in the 20 years that they've been in the workforce. And in the past, those 20 years have often been invisible to new employers uh, specifically. Now, when we talk about all these employability skills, you know, working in a team, communicating, getting to work on time, a new graduate can't prove that. Somebody who has 20 years' experience can prove that they have those skills. We're talking to Jane Oates, the president at WorkingNation.com. What other trends are HR people talking about? What else are they thinking about as they imagine employing more people in the coming year? Yeah, I, th- I, I, I was going to say, I hope they're not thinking about downsizing. That's one of the things that worries me all the time. You know, we hear all these big numbers with tech, you know, that they're either putting on hiring freezes or they're letting people go. And I don't mean the the fringe things like Twitter. I, I mean, looking at other tech companies who somewhere around September of last year imposed a hiring freeze. So I'm I'm hoping that that doesn't uh, expand. I mean, obviously, this week we're all waiting for the new jolt data to come out tomorrow, and of course, Numbers Day on Friday. I mean, I I think the the trends that I'm watching are what's happening with remote work. I mean, I think slowly but surely. Uh, at least on the East Coast, uh, where I'm based, and and a little bit in California as well, uh, you're seeing people come back to work in a hybrid fa- uh, fashion. So they're coming back two or three days a week and working remotely the, the rest of the week. I'm, I'm really anxious to see what happens with that. I mean, in 20, I think if we were going to give 2022 a name, we'd call it the year of the worker, right? The worker really got a lot more say in what was going on, in how they wanted to be compensated financially, but also what they wanted in flexibility. I'm anxious to watch that in 2023. As the hiring market cools down, as I said, I just think a little bit. Um, will will people still want that flexibility? Will cities want people to bring their workers back so the city economy can rebuild? And, and what really did happen last year in terms of productivity with so many people working remotely? All those questions are, you know, up in the air still. All of those are uh, discussed at WorkingNation.com. Jay Notes is the president there. Jane, we've got to get you on more often. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for your thoughts today. Oh, John, I love talking to you. Thanks so much. And again, happy, happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. And it's interesting because you've heard of white-collar workers and blue-collar workers. We just visited with Jay Notes about what sort of employment trends she's looking for in the new year. And here's Philip Weiss joining us now, the president of Seifarth at Work about another kind of worker. Do you call it the new-collar worker, Philip? That's right, John. And it is uh, one more trend that we definitely want to watch in 2023. Uh, Something that we saw the initial sort of bits and pieces of a kind of new wave starting about 2016 and 17. But as we have more and more digitization, of manufacturing, as we have more organizations going paperless, as we have more companies using high-tech analytics, there's an entire new level of employee or employee role that's now become available. And as you said, 
It's not blue collar, uh, it's new collar. And the reason those two terms really connect is most of the people entering this level don't have a college degree, went through a very unique pathway to develop their skills, and have in most cases moved from a blue collar type role to a tech related new collar job. And the salaries have jumped dramatically for these individuals. So, something companies are grappling with because it's a transition they have to be able to make. What kind of jobs do these people do then? How, what, what, how would I recognize them? Yeah, well, that's a great question. And and you kind of hit the nail on the head because many bosses fail to recognize that someone has, in fact, shown them the skills or is already engaging in what we might call new-collar work. And the first, uh, first kind of moments where we saw people transitioning might be a welder who normally simply used a welding iron and now has to use uh, laser welding equipment or robotic welding equipment. So there's a high-tech aspect to the core of their job. But beyond that, companies realize they run all kinds of equipment. They need people who can code that equipment, who can troubleshoot it, who can manage complex machinery. So there's a lot of ways to get the skills. doesn't require college necessarily, but these employees are expecting more than they received in terms of compensation and treatment when they were blue-collar employees. So are these new jobs that are opening up for them or just maybe recognizing them as a category per se? Yeah, a little bit of both. There are uh, formerly purely blue-collar workers, uh, John, who took on additional responsibilities. Uh, The company never really recognized what that looked like. In fact, we work now with a California lab instrument company, and he had trouble even acknowledging or making the adjustments necessary to manage these new-collar workers who were doing testing of his equipment, who were doing high-tech calibrations. And the the employee said to him, look, we're not going to hang around here unless we get new job titles, unless we get perks that are appropriate for who we are. They just wanted to be viewed, recognized, and comped as a separate level. So that's true on the one hand. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, now if you look at, at Indeed and the other job search sites, there are many companies who are specifically saying, we want that additional tech experience and we will pay for it upon entry. So we're seeing some of both. Uh, it sounds like these are uh, positions that have sort of evolved over time. That is, I think a lot of us know people who got a job at a company, sort of morphed into something which is very valuable. It's kind of tech, but maybe they're not writing code and <laughs> they're instrumental in how the company operates. But we really don't have a job classification or category for them. Yeah, that that's so uh, important. Um Sometimes the boss has got to be look on the lookout for people who are either exhibiting the skills or maybe have sort of saved the company because of these skills. We uh, work with a food delivery, food delivery company in Chicago, and the boss, who was dealing with all kinds of scheduling glitches with his equipment, was in a foul mood, noticed one of his employees was watching YouTube videos from his desk. And the boss really uh, railed this guy out and said, look, I've got enough issues without you wasting my time and money uh, surfing the web. And the employee, in fact, was learning on YouTube tutorials how to better handle the very glitches the company was experiencing. So that guy was owed a promotion and an apology (laughs) because he paved his own path to a new-collar job, and now he has it. Do these um, jobs surface more in 
manufacturing, say, than in insurance or white-collar areas, though? Yeah, they do. Uh, That's partly for reasons that you've already implied in your question. Uh, The IT team in many professional service environments uh, handles a lot of what we're talking about. Unless, for example, a law firm has got some high-tech database uh, about their client info, they need someone who can manage that database. So there are some moments where professional service uh, does need new-collar skills without a college degree. But by and large, it is, in fact, manufacturing. How much do these people expect to earn then? Where do they fit? Yeah, uh, it does depend on uh, wh- what your new-collar job elements include. Um, you talk about those welders. Uh, they may have gone from 20000 to 70000 with that tech ability. But we're seeing people, for example, uh, interface designers or equipment testers or digital manufacturing managers who are making $100,000, $120,000 without the college degree. That's because the, the digitization is outpacing recruiting in this area, and it's a real opportunity for those employees. Mm. We're talking to Philip Weiss about not blue-collar workers or white-collar workers, but new-collar workers. You know, I was uh, mentioning earlier on the show today, Philip, in the New York Times, January 1st, Sunday issue, they had 71 of our favorite facts from 2022. And one of the things they pointed out is that a 2020 study found that up to 30 million workers had the skills to realistically move to new jobs that paid, on average, 70% more than their jobs at the time. But maybe they either weren't getting compensated for it or they didn't know about this. But they have the skills. They just maybe don't have either the wherewithal or the initiative or the awareness to move into these better-paying jobs. Does that statistics surprise you? Uh, not at all. In fact, it's, it's exactly consistent with what we've been hearing from organizations that do surveys and polling. The 30 million number we've seen more than once. We've also seen that uh, there's 10 million jobs that have gone unfilled, according to the Wall Street Journal, um, because of these specific tech needs. And already, a uh, full 10% of blue-collar type workers, because they're not always pure blue-collar, have made the switch. So we're definitely in a transition, John, and there's definitely an enormous need here. Bosses have got to be thinking that way when they interview people. They got to talk about what training they will offer in the future for additional tech yeah, skills. Right. That's a that's a key plus on the interview side. Um, what do you say to this listener? Six three zero texted in. Wow, I've been trying to tell my employer about new collar. I'm 39 years old. I've been using computers for literally decades, which has gotten me pretty far in the company, except my pay is relatively crap because I don't have a four-year degree. It's very frustrating. Uh, Where does this guy go, Philip? Yeah, I mean, every situation is different, but it's all about the evidence. And what I mean by that, not as a lawyer, but kind of as someone who's seen these situations, you want to go back and kind of mine your own history where you made a difference because of these skills, where you may have not saved the day, but saved significant sums for the company or created efficiencies, and then give examples of what else you might be able to do if incentivized. So you want a record of where you hopefully contributed, and if you don't have it, do some some research. Show the difference in your industry when people like you were properly incentivized. So there's a lot of ways to present it, but it's got to go to the bottom line, dollars and cents, yeah. value of comping you more. 
Which is a shame because some skills, maybe it's harder to demonstrate that, or maybe they don't really make the company more profitable per se. It might make somebody else more profitable. I guess you've got to, you know, cop that. You've got to demonstrate that. But um, uh, I would imagine that for some positions, it's easier to be able to draw the bottom line and say it's better now that I'm doing X. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's an important consideration. You can't always assign a dollar figure to the benefit of your work, but you can certainly extrapolate where the failure would have led, like perhaps Mm. a disgruntled client, a lost customer, uh, affecting morale because people are not able to get the job done. So while you can't always necessarily say this is worth $100,000, you can show the risk that any smart boss wants to avoid and show your commitment to the company's success at the same time. That's worth something, and certainly will get their eye and attention on your proposal. Go get him, everybody. Philip Weiss, President, Seifarth at Work, S-E-Y-F-A-R-T-H at work.com. As always, thank you, Philip. Thanks for having me, John. Happy New Year. Jim Dalkey, the national editor at American Inno, Chicago Inno.com is the website. And it's always a pleasure to talk to you, Jim. Let's talk about your annual fire awards. Is, is a fire award a good thing or a bad thing? Hey, John. Uh, Yes, the Fire Award is a good thing. We've been doing the Fire Awards now going on almost a decade. Um, And really the goal of this list is really to identify the movers and shakers over the last year in Chicago's startup scene. You know, of course, as we talked about just almost, it seems, weekly here with you, it's been a tricky year for the tech scene uh, uh, broadly, and certainly in Chicago, it has not been the type of growth we've seen, especially when, with what happened uh, in 2021 with so much growth in venture capital coming into Chicago startups. Having said that, Chicago companies have continued to thrive. We've seen a, a lot of growth and a lot of momentum at, at many of the city's tech companies, and that's really what the fire list aims to do is really kind of give you like, hey, if you haven't been tuning in to what's going on in Chicago startup and tech scene over the year. Hey, here are 50 companies you need to know. So you can check out the full list at chicagoinno.com. But, you know, really what we like to do with this list is not just identify um, small tech companies, large tech companies. These kind of run the gamut. So you'll find a company on here called Tempest, the healthcare startup launched by Eric Lukowski. This is a business that's grown into a very large tech company now at more than 1,700 employees. Uh, they're working on um, some really interesting uh, technology to combat cancer and other healthcare conditions. They raised $275 million this year. Their business is valued at over $8 billion. So lots of growth from a very, very big tech company there. And they have smaller companies on here like Songfinch, which is a company we've talked about before. This is a music tech startup that helps independent artists earn money and lets you uh, buy a, a individualized, personalized song. Um, they've grown their headcount up to 80 employees and raised some funding from some known folks uh, in the music industry like, um, like Doja Cat and Quincy Jones. You've also got Spot Hero on this list. Um, that's not a new company by any stretch, though, right? No, Spot Hero has been at this for a long time. So they are a parking app, a really interesting Chicago startup. They uh, launched as a better way to find parking. They were among you know the many businesses at the onset of the pandemic that were just really decimated. Their revenue almost went to zero. Um, nobody was, was parking, right? Everybody was locked down at home. And so their business really came to a screeching halt. They've bounced back uh, in 2022. Their revenue is back to where they were pre-pandemic. They're growing their employees again. And they landed a partnership with Lyft, the ride-sharing company. So you can now actually access 
the Spot Hero platform within Lyft's app as well. And so just another avenue to get more eyeballs and more users onto Spot Hero and a really nice partnership for them and certainly a win to get plugged into Lyft. Can I just uh, bounce a couple of these other companies on your list of 50 off of you? Yeah. R-H-E-A-P-L-Y. Reapply? Reapply? Yeah, Reapply. So this is a a company (laughs) led by Chicago startup uh, Gary Cooper. And what they do is kind of help companies, you know, reuse uh, resources. So think if a company's got, uh, you know, computers, office equipment, desks, um, rather than throwing these into landfill, they've created a platform that helps, um, you know, businesses you know, purchase and reuse some of this equipment. And so there's a big time kind of, um, you know, reuse, re- reuse and recycle play here for these guys and kind of a sustainability play. Um, they've landed a bunch of funding recently, including from Steve Case, uh, his firm Revolution. Uh, Steve Case, of course, the founder of AOL. So lots of big names backing that company from a really ambitious new startup. I wish I'm glad to hear that somebody's, it's a shame. I think a lot of us go through things or no longer use things and we think, industry or somebody else could use this thing. I don't know how to find them or connect them. This sounds like a B2B type business, but I love the economy of that. That's exactly right. Um, and yeah, I mean, they've, they've gotten some funding from Microsoft as well. MIT is an investor in them. And, and yeah, this is certainly a B2B play and um, the kind of business I think that's certainly needed right now. I mean, you think about everything that's happening from you know, hybrid work, work from home. There's lots of office equipment that's being underutilized or not utilized, or, hey, maybe your office is going back to full-time, and, hey, now we need more desks, more supplies, more equipment. That's what Replay can really kind of come in and and serve. Boy, if there's a business out there that wants a bunch of uh, cables and cords for consumer electronics at home, I could single-handedly start up a full company. Uh, And I don't suppose there's any place for that other than recycling or the garbage. But a lot of us hate to get rid of those things. I wonder if there's a business out there that wants 57 different kinds of cables and power chargers and stuff like that that I have. (laughs) You'd be surprised. How about Popular Pays? What is that? Yeah, Popular Pays. This is a, a startup that just got acquired, actually. So um, a long-time startup led by Corbett Drummy, a popular pace. Essentially what they do is they, uh, they're an advertising tech firm. They connect brands with online influencers uh, to run uh, different campaigns on Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, other platforms. They've grown really quickly across TikTok, one of their um, big channels that they use. This year they were acquired by Lightrix. Um, this is a venture-backed tech firm that makes it a popular photo and video editing app called Facetune, uh, which uh, some folks may have heard of. Um, so this is a nice landing spot for popular pays. They've been doing uh, this for a few years now. They launched right when we launched at Chicago, you know, back in 2013, 2014. And, um, you know, it, lots of brands are trying to connect with uh, consumers in different ways. And so if you've ever seen a sponsored Instagram post or a sponsored TikTok, it's possible that Popular Pays was actually the vehicle that helped power that from the, from the brand side. So, uh, yeah, Popular Pays, really interesting startup that uh, got acquired last year. These are all Chicago-based companies that are featured in um, chicagowinnow.com, Vivid Seats. Talk to me about that sector. Yeah, Vivid Seats. So like I said, you know, this isn't just a, a list of kind of tiny startups. This is this is large startups, large tech firms, small startups. Vivid Seats certainly fits the bucket of the larger tech firm. Um, you know, Vivid, of course, is the ticket uh, reseller website. Um, really has kind of become one of Chicago's tentpole tech companies. Um, you know, they, uh, they, they uh, have gotten into a new headquarters this year. So they've opened up a brand new space in Chicago. Um, they went public as well. 
So uh, Vivid Seats reached its 100 millionth ticket sold uh, earlier last year as well. And so wow. um, they grew its headcount by 35%. So, yeah, this is a business that's been up and running for the better part of two decades. Um, and, you know, like Spot Hero was certainly one of the businesses that was majorly affected by the pandemic when no one was going to events. And, you know, the ticketing industry was hit hard. And Vivid Seats is one of those businesses in Chicago that has bounced back and, and finding ways to grow now um, post-pandemic. Is there a, a company out there you're really rooting for, either because they're struggling or because they're new or it's uncertain if they've really found a, a place to be profitable? Who, who are you cheering on? You know what? I really like um, Chicago startups that take a consumer approach. Chicago has always been known as this B two B tech town. Uh, it kind of gets a rap as sort of you know producing sort of boring, unsexy business to business companies. Um, but I really like you know consumer tech startups that, that give it a really interesting shot. And this Chicago startup called Protege, which I think we've talked about before, they connect up and coming talent. So think about musicians, other kind of artists with experts who can provide feedback and mentorship. And so the experts on their platform have included DJ Khaled, actor Jason Alexander from Seinfeld, BB Rexa, and other celebrities. They raised $8.5 million last year from Sequoia Capital, a very large venture firm that actually rarely invests in Chicago. So, you know, they've really got a blue chip VC firm behind them. They have got some kind of A-list celebrities that are backing their platform as well. And now we'll kind of have to see where they go. But this is a startup led by an early cameo executive and early trunk club executive. So kind of two folks who've uh, had some early success in Chicago startup scene now for spinning off a new consumer startup. So Protégé is definitely one to watch. 50 companies heating up Chicago tech, and that's one of them, all of them at chicagowinnow.com. Okay, Jim, let's talk again uh, in the new week and in the new year. Thanks for your thoughts. Thanks, John. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN. More business news with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. The parent company of ComEd, Exelon, will keep its corporate headquarters in Chicago. Cranes reports the company's new CEO, Calvin Butler, has made the pledge as he prepares to take the reins. There'd been some speculation about the HQ location because Butler had been based in Baltimore. Exelon spun off its power generation business last year, and that unit is also based in Baltimore more. Butler is a graduate of Bradley University in Peoria and worked in Illinois before joining Exelon. Three months after a call for proposals from Chicago City Hall, developers have pitched nearly $1.2 billion worth of residential conversions for LaSalle Street. Last year, Mayor Lightfoot proposed a transformation of the area on and near LaSalle Street in the Loop to turn vacant office space into residential units. The city's offering tax increment financing and other incentives to help cover costs. The developers have submitted nine proposals for seven different properties. The city's goal is to create 1,000 residential units. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. All right, now the business of food. Steve Alexander. Yes, and Happy New Year. Did you see the ball drop the other night? How about the bologna? Yeah, in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, a 100-pound chunk of bologna dangling from a disco ball has been a fixture of New Year's Eve for 25 years. Okay, here's one for you. When is a chicken not a chicken? And this is not a speed joke. And by the way, we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. When is a chicken not a chicken? When it is immortalized. 
So what's that? But I guess it means forever. That is Mac Graves, a longtime exec in the meat industry. He wrote a blog for our friends in Hoffman Estates at meetingplace.com about a company called Upside Foods. It has a lab-grown chicken meat it calls immortalized because one group of cells from a chicken can be used over and over and over, <laughs> kind of like sourdough bread starter, to grow chicken meat in a lab. No eggs, no feathers, just meat, slaughter-free. Yeah, well, that's going to appeal to some people. I think that's of lesser importance. He says more important is taste, something the struggling plant-based meat industry has found out the hard way. I think they screwed it up from the get-go. It's going to save the environment and the rainforest and everything else. Well, people don't eat beef for that. They eat it because it tastes good, and that's the one thing they forgot. In November, the FDA completed a pre-market consultation process for the company, which makes Upside Foods the first lab meat company to have gotten that far. And the FDA did make it clear this is not an approval, just one of the many steps that may or may not lead to it. Investors are throwing millions at Upside. Some of the usual players like Bill Gates and Richard Branson, companies like Cargill and Tyson. So they'll, you know, they'll, they'll get the money. They will. Beef and pork will be coming too someday. It's, in my opinion, it's got to be at least 10 years. I mean, they've got so much to do. And they have to make it cheaper. Right now, you'd have to pay several thousand dollars a pound. From the farm to your belly, January is, how about this, National Meat Month. Also, National Oatmeal Month, National Slow Cooking Month, National Soup Month, and National Baking Month. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. A lot of folks stop drinking, at least for the month of January. And January 14th is NA Day with Chicago AF. That's Alcohol Free, an organization. They've got a very cool social community of non-drinkers and an event on January 14th at Loft on Lake, where they're going to be featuring non-alcoholic drinks. And this event from 1 to 5 sold out very quickly, but they are at 1 o'clock this afternoon going to push more tickets out at Eventbrite. Morton Sorensen, it sounds like you guys are on to something here, doesn't it? Hi, John. Thanks for having me on the on the show. Um, you're right. It's January. It's, it's dry January, so the month for for being more mindful about your drinking. Your business, you are the founder of Ish, I-S-H, ishspirits.com. Uh, your, your business makes non-alcoholic drinks, right? That's exactly right. We make non-alcoholic wine, spirits, and cocktails. And we really cater to the demographic that exactly like during dry January is looking to be a little bit more mindful about their intake and still can enjoy the taste and the flavor and the experience of wine, spirits, and cocktails. So... We make it easy for them. I have here the alcohol-removed sparkling white, a sparkling rosé. I have spritz, a mixed, um, non-alcoholic pre-mixed cocktail. I've been enjoying the gin and tonic, only it's not gin and tonic. It's What is in this, the G&T that I'm drinking? Well, that's a great example. So the G&T is exactly like you would expect a G&T, like a gin and tonic, except we don't have the alcohol. So we'll use all the botanics, all the flavor, all the experience that you're used to. So juniper, coriander seeds, uh, all these botanical flavors that would usually go in to creating a gin. That's what we use. And then we have a secret. We use the shells of the seeds of chilies to give the burn, right? So we know when we have an alcoholic cocktail, it has a little bit of that burn. We want to recreate that. So we really give that full experience of having a, a full-on cocktail and not just a soft drink but a full-on cocktail. That's funny because I sneezed when I took <laughs> my first sip of this. 
It does have, it's not heat, it's spice. I don't know if it's peppery, but there's something there that is different than just a 7-Up or tonic water or something like that. It has a, uh, a, it tastes like a non-alcoholic gin and tonic. Thank you. That's uh, that's exactly what, what we're trying to accomplish. And, and with that spice and with that warmth, we're, a- we're able to elevate it more as a sippable cocktail. Because we all know, you know, sometimes a lemonade or a soft drink is, is, is what we want. We want to, to chuck that and we want to, like, feel, you know, refreshed after that. A cocktail is different. cocktail is something you want to sip, something you want to enjoy. Yeah. Uh, and that's what you can do with these beverages uh, compared to soft drinks. So what all does Ish make? So I mentioned uh, sparkling wines, canned cocktails. I have a bottle here also of uh, Mexican agave. Do you do bourbon? Do you do vodka? What else do you all do? So we do, uh, we do a bunch. We, we, uh, we have the wines, as you mentioned, the sparkling white and sparkling rosé made with, with real grapes grown in the Rheinhaut district in, in Germany. We're from Copenhagen uh, ourselves. So we work with a, with a winemaker in Germany to create those wines, de-alcoholize them very gently, and then having an able to, uh, the ability to remove the molecule of ethanol while remaining the, the taste. So that's on the wine. So you get a full-on wine experience that's served at some of the best restaurants in this country, some of the three-star Michelin restaurants and so forth, uh, giving a full-on wine experience. The canned cocktails that you mentioned, John, uh, the spritz is, is kind of like an Italian spritz, uh, like you would expect a like um, like an Aperol spritz, uh, bitter, um, you know, a little bit fruity from the from the citrus, right? Um, the GNC that we that we spoke about, and then we have our um, we have our spirits. So we have gin, rum, and tequila. That's what we do, and we use all the botanicals that reflect the flavors that you would expect getting from these spirits. How do I get these? Are they in uh, stores? Do people order them online? What's the best way to get stuff from Ish? So the best way in, in Chicago would be uh, Foxtrot. Uh, so I'm, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, with the Foxtrots uh, out there. They have them on shelf. We have them online. So ishspirits.com. We serve them. Uh, we, we send them uh, domestically uh, in the U.S., uh, throughout the U.S. So, um, so we're very available. And then we're just building and building our, our distribution channels. Uh, you're going to see us in, in bars and restaurants, especially around the Chicago area where we have some great people working for us there. So, so you're going to see it more and more out in the, in the city landscape. Well, you're at the right place at the right time. Morten Sorensen is the founder of IshSpirits.com. Again, the event sold out quickly, but they're pushing out more tickets today at 1 o'clock at Eventbrite for the NA Day event on the 14th. Morten, uh, we've enjoyed the, the product that you've sent us. Congratulations. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, and cheers, John. Cheers.